0: Josh Haston here, Israel Uncensored, on the Land of Israel Network, at thelandofisrael.com. It is Monday, the 11th of April, 2022, the 10th of Nissan, 5782. Let's get right to it, and very, very sadly, it seems, very upsettingly as well, it seems that we can just copy and paste this show each and every week, um, at least over the last few weeks. Because once again, we are talking about terrorism here in the Jewish state of Israel. I believe it is 14 Israelis murdered over the last two weeks in the latest attack Thursday night in Tel Aviv. An Arab jihadist gunman murdered three Israelis, three men, Atom, McGinney, Tomer, Morad, and Barak Lufan. One of them... A father of three, another just engaged, and another with a serious girlfriend, robbing them of their lives. Fourteen Israelis in just two weeks murdered. And the attacks are now coming more and more frequently each and every day. And we'll get to the details of the latest attacks. And I don't know if you want to call it a wave or if that's the correct terminology, but one thing is for certain. The Palestinian Authority continues to incite to terror and to violence each and every day. And at this particular juncture, they have decided to go crazy and try to murder Jews, murder Israelis each and every day. You want to say it's because of Ramadan I mean, I think that's really the excuse, not the reason, even though every year we see an upswing in terror during this period. But that's really just the excuse. It's the daily hatred and incitement emanating from the Palestinian Authority and, of course, from Hamas and all the other groups out there. And the fact that they can get away with it, when you show weakness, that's when terror steps in. And unfortunately, we have been showing weakness, whether it's from our administration, whether it's from the Biden administration, when you show weakness, when you show a willingness to take the biggest sponsor of global terror off the international terrorist list, as an example, I know that we're talking that's, that's uh, in regard to Iran, but when you show that type of weakness, there is a trickle down effect everywhere especially here in Israel. So that is where we are, daily terror attacks and more and more orphans and widows. And please, God, let it stop soon because it's more than enough already. We do not want to get into a situation where, when I met Aliyah in 2002, it was a daily bloodbath of buses blowing up and cafes blowing up in the Oslo war some call it the second intifada and it looks like it looks like we're heading down that path and the reason is because in places like Jenin the terrorists have rearmed the terrorists are determined to carry out these attacks and we need to nip it in the bud immediately israel succeeded back in 2002 to enter all of the terror hotspots and eliminate those responsible, and it looks like we are headed down that path. And I don't have the inside military information on what the IDF is planning, what our government is planning in terms of military strategies and maneuvers and you know the bigger picture. I mean I will tell you this for just for example, JNS reported Israel is shifting from defense to offense in the fight against terrorism and is intensifying activities against the source of the terrorism at any time and any place, according to Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, making these comments on Saturday. Bennett made the remarks during a visit to the Israeli civilians wounded in Thursday's deadly terrorist shooting in Tel Aviv. He vowed that Israeli security forces would operate at night, during the day, morning, and evening everywhere. As I have said, There will be no restrictions on the security forces. This is Naftali Bennett, our prime minister, talking on the Israel Defense Forces, Israel Security Agency, or the Israel Police. We will continue pursuing the terrorists everywhere. So those are the remarks from our prime minister. But what does that mean on the ground? I don't know. Obviously, obviously, the idea of troops and all the security forces are, in fact, operating. Don't get me wrong. There is something being done. But will we go full force forward in terms of eliminating, weeding out this hornet's nest of terror in places like Janine? It remains to be seen. In the meantime, unfortunately, Israel continues to bury, to bury its loved ones with 14 murdered in the last two weeks alone. Times of Israel reports that the high level security cabinet approved funding to upgrade a section of the they called the West Bank I don't use that word the Judean Samaria security barrier the prime minister's office said Sunday according to a statement the ministers voted unanimously unanimously to allocate 300 million shekel to improve a 40 kilometer stretch of the barrier along the so called seam line so again the security barrier which has many holes in it. The plan here here is to patch those holes. Uh, the Bnei Brock terrorist entered through a gap in the barrier and when he murdered five, just, what was it, a week and a half ago, and they're suspecting the terrorist who murdered three in Tel Aviv, uh, likewise, uh, was able to find holes in the security fence i heard another report on the radio that perhaps he actually broke through the security fence but either way let me just say this for the record i am definitely for anything that enhances security whether it's the security fence or the iron dome missile defense system but that being said to allocate this money to the security fence, this is a Band-Aid. This is not the solution. And I've written on this before. When you're talking about defeating terror, Israel was much more successful in relying on our troops to go in and weed out the terrorists back in 2002 than relying on the security barrier. And obviously the security barrier to right now is a joke because there's so many holes in it. Should the security barrier be patched up? You could make that argument, but it is, a, it is a band-aid. It is not a solution. And at the same time, it is a problem because once you put up that barrier, you're essentially saying everything on the other side of that barrier is not ours. There are many Jewish communities on the other side of the security barrier. In Gush Etzion, for example, there is no security barrier and I think it, it should remain as such. We should not put up more walls and fences and fence in our communities. You can't grow when you put up a fence. Things can't grow. So you are essentially barricading yourself in. And as I just said a minute ago, it is not the most effective way to combat terror. It is taking it to the terrorists. That is the way to do it. So I understand what the government is thinking here, but this is a Band-Aid. This is not a solution. We're very good at Band-Aids here. Iron Dome saved lives, but it is a Band-Aid. Instead of weeding out the terrorists in Gaza, we use the Iron Dome, and I understand it, but I'm not willing to accept it as the end-all, be-all solution to our problems. The same with the security barrier yesterday's attacks here in the state of israel number one you had a terrorist stabbing attack foiled in hevron near the tomb of the patriarchs a female terrorist armed with a knife attempted to stab israeli border police officers and idf soldiers and the terrorist was shot and killed you have another story coming out of husan a village near Beit lechem and this was a little bit different this was suicide by fire a woman whatever family situation she was in and this was documented by the way she documented it it's in writing she decided that she wanted to end her life so what did she do she charged idea soldiers was she armed no she was not armed but the soldiers gave her warning do not come closer they fired warning shots and eventually they had to kill her because it looked like she was going to come and try to murder IDF soldiers. And of course, many in the media simply said unarmed Palestinian woman. This is how they this is how they put it, unarmed Palestinian woman shot dead by Israeli troops. Now is that inaccurate? It's not inaccurate, but it does not tell the truth in terms of the narrative. Yes, she was unarmed. But she threatened IDF soldiers. She ran towards them. She did not stop when she was told to stop. And it's really a problem, especially IFC. I saw several Israeli-based media outlets say unarmed Palestinian woman shot. And the enemies of Israel used that against us. Okay, it did not take very long. And, I've, and I saw this on social media. I saw it especially on Twitter. The enemies of Israel accusing Israel of murdering An unarmed Palestinian woman. That is how they frame the narrative. When in reality, she posed a clear threat to the soldiers who thought their lives were at risk. And who knows, if she had reached the soldiers, maybe she would have attacked them. Even if she didn't have a knife. Okay. Or a gun. Or who knows, maybe she would have had a, maybe she could have had a a bomb on her. The soldiers did the right thing. And unfortunately, the media, not everyone, but several in the media created a narrative where it looked like a poor, innocent, unarmed woman woman was murdered by Israeli troops. And that's a major problem. That just shows you the power of the press and it shows you the influence it can have on the narrative and the reality of a story and how that can come back to bite us very hard as it did yesterday. Tell the truth, folks. Share the reality of what happened. If you are a true journalist, but many people, unfortunately, out there, everyone thinks they're journalists these days. And even on the mainstream media outlets, they don't tell the entire story, and it creates a false narrative as to what happened. And that is bad journalism right there. Also reported yesterday, very, very disturbing uh, an estimated 100 Arab rioters from the Balata neighborhood in Shechem entered Joseph's tomb, one of the holiest sites in Judaism, overnight on Sunday and set fire to the compound, damaged the tombstone over the grave, damaged the chandelier, and smashed the electrical cabinet. This happened again in 2015. It happened in back in 2002, I believe. The damaging of a Jewish holy site. And by the way, the Oslo Accords, which are absolutely worth, worthless, it said specifically, it mentioned the Oslo, the, the Joseph's tomb, and mentioned by name, in the Oslo Accords, the Palestinian Authority was supposed to protect and safeguard the tomb of Joseph. Of course, they failed to do so. And of course, they stood by just the other night when Joseph's tomb was once again desecrated. And as I posted on Twitter, what's the goal here? Why are they destroying? By the way, from what I understand, Joseph was also a prophet in Islam. So why are they destroying his tomb? Number 1, the goals here are to scare Jews from visiting. That's number 1. Number 2, this is an attempt, an attempt to erase Jewish history and connection to the site, to cause pain by desecrating our holy sites, our holy places. And the lesson here is every centimeter every centimeter of land every inch of land turned over to the p a becomes a new either a new terror launching pad or anything on that land is ruined in two thousand and five when the Israeli government decided we were going to throw all Jews out of Gaza, the hothouses the places where the fruits and vegetables were grown were left intact, and what did the Arabs in Gaza do they destroy the hothouses instead of using them and the vegetables there and growing and producing and doing good things for their people and their society they destroyed the Gaza hothouses again every inch of land that is turned over for those who believe in a so-called two-state solution and want to turn over more land to the Palestinian Authority every inch of land is either a terror launching pad or a place of destruction where they take what could have been beneficial for their people and ruin it. And that's, uh, here's another example, Joseph's tomb. Ruining it, trying to destroy the Jewish connection and history to the site and scare Jews from visiting. That's what they did here just the other night. And this is horrible. And I'd like to see anyone in the world community say anything about the destruction or desecration of this holy site. And so far, I have not seen one response. I'll admit, I, didn't, I haven't checked every single tweet. There's no way I could have done that. But I have not seen anything pop up on my feed in terms of any condemnation from so-called human rights organizations or UNESCO or any of these others. I hope I missed it, but I don't think I did. Condemning the destruction of a Jewish holy site. Israel National News, Arut Sheva, reported that the IDF informed the family of the terrorist who carried out a shooting attack in at Bnei two weeks ago, killing five of its intention to demolish his house. The terrorist's family has been given the opportunity to file legal objection to the planned demolition. So here we have the, uh, the state of Israel trying to create a deterrence by destroying the home of the terrorist. But this is a process that takes days, maybe even weeks And I've, I think I've used this, uh, analogy before, before rather, you know, the, the mother who tells her child, just wait till your father gets home. And then hours go by after the kid did something wrong, hours go by and nothing happens. When that happens, deterrence is lost. And that's the same situation here informing the family they're going to take it down telling them they could appeal in court eventually usually what they do is they destroy the room of the terrorist and leave the the house intact the goal if the goal is to create deterrence then your deterrence diminishes the longer you wait the longer the process takes the fact that at the end of the day you only destroy one room in the house We're trying to create deterrence here, people. Okay, and here's a you know another story. Times of Israel reported the government approved the establishment of a committee to examine the removal of state benefits such as pensions and other grants from the families of citizens who commit acts of terror. So now the government has approved the setting up a committee to decide. Whether family members of those who carried out a terror attack, perhaps they enabled the terror attack to take place, the committee will decide eventually whether these people can receive benefits. And obviously my answer is their benefits should be taken away immediately. This is to create deterrence. If you carry out a terror attack, okay, or if you're considering carrying out a terror attack, you should know. And we're talking, by the way, in this case, these are uh citizens of the state of Israel whose family members carry out a terror attack you should know if you're an israeli citizen that your family will not receive money will not be paid their pensions and grants to, from the state if you carry out the attack and i think that's a that's a legitimate deterrent but now we're at a point where we're establishing a committee to see if this is going to happen okay And according to this report, such legislation has been introduced in the past, has not succeeded in passing the Knesset, I would also also likely face a challenge in the Supreme Court. We can't even get our act together in order to prevent the families of terrorists from receiving benefits. You want to create deterrence or not? That is a question for the government of Israel and for our courts. Do you want to create deterrence? Do you want a terrorist to think twice before he carries out a terror attack who has citizenship here? Okay, create deterrence, folks. Don't wait. Don't set up committees and take your time and review it. Yes, maybe, no. This indecisiveness is costing us lives. You want to create a real deterrence? Do it. On the other hand here, Jewish press. Uh, the Jewish press reports Israel's Supreme Court on Sunday ruled that Palestinian Authority government payments to terrorists and their families constitutes authorization of terrorist attacks. In other words, pay for slay, and that whole program is considered a terror attack. Why is it significant? The Jewish press says the ruling is significant, significant rather, because it means that when a victim is injured in an attack, he can now sue the Palestinian Authority. Now, is that person going to get any money for suing the Palestinian Authority? Um, I don't know. But the bottom line, according to this article, the Supreme Court ruled that the Palestinian Authority approves of terrorists' actions by paying them and their families money for carrying out the attacks. So it puts the blame on the Palestinian Authority. Pay for slay proves that the Palestinian Authority approves these attacks. They are willing to pay the terrorists and their families for, ca- for carrying them out. and We've known this for years and years and years. I guess now it's official. We're, we're acknowledging that the PA is responsible for this. Practically, how is this going to change anything? I don't know. People are going to sue the Palestinian Authority. I'm sure there are many lawsuits out against the Palestinian Authority. But will that create a deterrence? I don't know. But I guess now it's official uh, Israeli uh, policy, at least at least on paper, that the PA government payments to terrorists and their families is considered authorization of terror attacks. But not everyone is happy about that, by the way. The Jewish press reported that Eretz M.K. Gabby Lasky told Reshbet Radio Friday morning, this is literally hours after the, the terror attack in Tel Aviv, she said that she supports she supports P.A. Chairman Mahmoud Abbas's payment, payments to the families of killed or imprisoned terrorists. Okay. She supports this. She said we need to make sure that those children also have a livelihood. I know people have a hard time accepting that, but it's the truth. Lasky told Reshebet there is no need for collective punishment for families. I say no to home demolitions and no to administrative detention. So this... Member of Knesset. Merits, by the way, a member of the government. Just hours after a murderous terror attack in Tel Aviv, says we need to make sure that the children of terrorists get their money and have a way to earn a living. That's where her head is. That's what she is concerned with. She, by the way, uh, apologized, so to speak, later on. All right, but first of all, the damage was done. And... She didn't pay, she didn't take back the part about supporting uh the salaries. She said basically uh it wasn't a good time to make those statements. That's really what she said. So it really wasn't an apology. It was a joke actually. But this is a member of a party that is in the Israeli government concerned with the livelihood of te- uh of the families of terrorists just hours after three Israelis were murdered in Tel Aviv. And and that's where we are right now, folks. And this is not an endorsement of Likud or Bibi Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, or anything like that. It's just telling you the reality that we're in now with this wide, crazy government that relies on the support of people like this in merits and, of course, the Rom party and labor it's just a mess. It's just a mess right now in terms of the uh, the political situation. Uh, the government right now, by the way, is teetering 60-60. And we're possibly headed to another election, uh, according to Ynet. And that is because uh, this past week, coalition whip Edith Silman of Naftali Bennett's party, by the way, Yamina, she left the government. So the government until now had a slim majority, 61-59, and is now 60-60. If another member of the coalition decides to leave, we may be headed towards elections, and it's a very complicated process as to what could happen, uh, whether will another MK, perhaps Benny Gans, try to form a government Will we go to elections? A lot of different scenarios. I suggest you follow my friend uh, and colleague Gil Hoffman from the Jerusalem Post. He really can explain exactly. If you go see his tweets or a Harkov from the Jerusalem Post, go see their tweets. They can explain all the possible scenarios. But the government could fall. We could be headed to another election or there could be a formation of a new government based on the existing parties, if in fact several members uh, defect from the government and the government can no longer function. So we'll see what happens there. It's it's very, very complicated. But again, I would say Gill or Lahav or somebody really in the know with everything on the political scene. And we'll see where it goes from here. Now that it's 60-60-60 for the Coalition and 60 in the Opposition in Israel's Knesset. Let's let's finish with some, well, I wanted to finish with some good news, but there's just one other story I have to share here, and that comes out of uh, Lakewood, New Jersey, on our, our weekly anti-Semitism report here on the show, unfortunately. In addition to, of course, all the other uh, anti-Semitism taking place here in Israel, let's not forget The targeting of jews is anti-semitism isn't it just because it happened here it happens here in israel doesn't doesn't make it not an anti-semitic attack the jewish press reports that on friday in lakewood new jersey an orthodox man was hit by a vehicle the driver then got out of the car and stabbed his victim He was listed in, I think, critical but stable condition. Then the same Jew hater got into his car and ran over another pedestrian, from what I understand was visibly recognizable as an Orthodox Jew. The suspect was arrested, and he then made anti-Semitic remarks upon his arrest. This is in Lakewood, New Jersey, folks, so this is not somewhere in europe some country way out in europe this is in new jersey it's happening folks it's happening it's happening it's happening wake up to this reality um let's let's finish with several positive uh, stories here Uh, number one jns reporting american pop band maroon five has added a second concert in tel aviv this spring after selling out their debut in high arcone park on may the 9th in Tel Aviv. Lead singer Adam Levine, who, for what I understand, is Jewish, uh, reported that the band has decided, as part of their world tour, they, were, they will be hosting not one, but two, two shows at Hyarcon Park. Unfortunately, um, I will not be able to go to this, and a lot of Jews, uh, Orthodox Jews will not be able to go to the concert because it is during the Sfirata Omer period where, uh, many have the custom of not going to live music shows, um, because it's considered a, uh, somewhat of a mourning period. So unfortunately I won't be able to go. And I would ask that in the future, if somehow the producers on this end can inform the American, uh, pop stars, rock stars, if they're aware of it, of this reality that there are certain times in the year where Orthodox Jews generally do not go to live music shows, music festivals. But that being said, let's focus on the positive here, because that's what I wanted to do. Maroon 5, despite the BDS haters, who most likely are pressuring, I know in the past Roger Waters and all the haters pressuring bands not to come to Israel, Maroon Maroon 5 coming to Israel for not one but two shows in May, in Tel Aviv, excellent, excellent news. And also at the same time, uh, this is from the Jerusalem Post, Eitan Stibb is Israel's second astronaut who made history on uh, on the over the weekend when he became the first Israeli to board the International Space Station. Stibb, who launched on Friday on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket as part of the Axiom Mission One, The first fully private space mission docked at the the station some 21 hours later on Saturday at around 8.30 a.m. So we have an Israeli in space. He is there conducting 35 different Israeli experiments in a a variety of fields of study. So contributing to the world, contributing to humanity in Israeli is in space. Um, 64-year-old businessman, philanthropist. He was also a fighter pilot in the Israel Air Force. So congratulations to Eitan Stibb for making it into space. And that's going to do it for today. This has been another edition of Israel Uncensored on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. My name is Josh Haston. Get in touch with me during the week, josh at thelandofisrael.com, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Big shout out to Benjamin Bresky, engineer extraordinaire, Tabitha Epstein for everything everything that she does here at the network behind the scenes. Let's hope for peace and quiet, folks. That's all I can say. Let's leave with that. Let's hope for peace and quiet here in Israel and throughout the world. Wishing everyone a good week. Coming to you, I don't even know if I mentioned this, coming to you from this morning, from Gush Etzion, if I didn't mention it, Judea. Jews are from Judea, folks. It's that simple. Jews are from Judea. Just south of Jerusalem, the eternal capital of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Have a safe week. Have a great week, everyone. And, by the way, Passover, Pesach, starts this Friday night, uh, the week-long holiday, celebrating our freedom, freedom from Egypt, freedom from tyranny. And uh, it is the beginning of the formation of B'nai Yisrael, the nation of Israel, as they made their way out of Egypt uh, in order to come here, in order to receive the Torah and come here to Israel, the Holy Land. Have a great week, everybody. And Chak Sameach for those who are celebrating.
1: My name is Jeremy Gimpel, and I live here in the mountains of Judea. And in these unprecedented times, I wanted to offer you a gift from the land of Israel. We've been here at the cutting edge of the Jewish return to the land of Israel. We've come to the place where King David first assembled his men and where he wrote most of the book of Psalms. We are quite literally transforming this desert mountain area into a Garden of Eden-like oasis. Watching prophecy manifest into reality, we felt called to reach out to the nations, to teach them lessons from the Bible in the original Hebrew, unlocking insights and understandings that you can only get if you read the text in its original language and from a Judean perspective. The prophet Zechariah spoke of a time that ten men from all the nations will grab hold of the corner of a garment of a Judean man and say, take us with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Perhaps this is the time that the righteous among the nations will now make a sharp U-turn and reconnect to Israel, reconnect to Judea, reconnect to the Hebrew roots of the spiritual realities of this world. This is an invitation to join us at our next live gathering with hundreds of families from over 30 countries around the world. And if you register now, we'll give you a free gift from Israel, the first five sessions that unlock the secrets of the Hebrew Bible and how to live as a believer in these times. I hope to see you at the Land of Israel Fellowship. Shalom.